Hey, good evening. Um, boy, I tell you, coming off of that weekend was uh, pretty spectacular. If you weren't here, um, you missed out. And uh, what was the number then? 150, did I hear? Was that right? Yeah. About 150 people came to know Jesus as their Savior. And guys, that means that... That means that there's 150 more people that we can join hands with and lock arms with and call fellow believers of the faith, uh, sons and daughters of the King. I envision heaven being something like this. Did you know that the word of God lasts forever? And I've thought about that. God, why would your word last forever? Well, maybe it's because unlike some... uh, some people's thinking, I don't think we're going to know everything as soon as we die and, and we get to heaven. And so maybe heaven could, maybe this is a little microcosm of, of what heaven would be like. Unbelievable worship and us sitting down and, and trying to understand, God, what, what, who are you? What are you all about? And maybe the setting will be a little different. But 150 people, guys, because of what's taking place with you and this local body of believers is going to be able to join us in that adventure and in that journey. And for them, life just began on Sunday. And so that's something to give God incredible praise for. And, and one of the things that, that is, as you and I maybe have journeyed in our, in our faith together and, and uh, independently, and we all have different stories, one of the things that, that troubles me is, um, is what Gandhi, maybe you've heard the famous quote from Gandhi, I, I love your Christ, I just don't understand his followers because they're nothing like him, um, to paraphrase. And, and what he was saying was, I, as I've read the Bible and I understand what believers of Jesus are supposed to be doing and the lives they're supposed to be living, I, I don't get it because the Christians that I know don't seem to be tracking too well with the Bible. And I certainly can understand that from experience. And I can understand that from the family and friends that I know that are followers of Jesus. And we do live under a banner of grace and forgiveness. And praise God we do. But I also believe that when these 150 people came to know Jesus last Sunday, they're going to be looking for help. And if you've known Jesus for any amount of time, guys, they're going to be looking to you and to me. And not so much what we have to say necessarily, but really, how are you doing it? How are you living the Christian life? And that's why I think so many of us feel like Tuesday is an important time for us to gather and to go to God and say, God, how can I do it? How, how can I do this? Because, because I want to. Because I, I want to be there for those who are just coming along in their faith, those who have questions and and want to figure this out. And God, you know, I, I want to figure it out too. And so we arrive at this particular topic this evening that I, I think is a deal breaker. I think it's a deal breaker because most of us are experiencing it in one way or another. And that is this topic of, of marriage. 60, I don't know, 60 plus million people in the country today uh, are married. And so there are 60 million or so couples floating around somewhere and Christian, non-Christian, we're all just, we're all trying to figure it out and, and we've all got our romance stories and how we came to a place of walking down the aisle and saying I do's and for, for many of us, we've crossed over that line and now we're into this, we're trying to traverse these pretty, pretty rough waters of marriage. 
Some of us maybe have been doing it for decades. Maybe some of us are just beginning. Maybe some of us are going to enjoy the next series that that we're going to do after next Sunday. It's complicated. And God, how do I get into a relationship? And, and how do I date well? And, and how do I do it? Because I think that there's a longing in most of us to get to that point where we do walk down the aisle, where, where we're standing up here watching someone come down the aisle. I think that's, that's our heart for most of us. And, and maybe some of you are, are right there. I know for me personally, um, I, I was here last October and I shared my story. And so some of you have heard that I was married for 13 years. And, uh, and then uh, my wife was killed in 2010 in a, in a car accident. Uh, and she was just waiting at a stoplight, waiting to come home. And uh, she was a nurse over at PCH. And we have three wonderful kids. And, um, and uh, two years ago in March, and someone hit her from behind and killed her instantly. And she was 35. And so we were on our way to, you know, settling into raising kids. And then, and then this happens. And so for the past two years, uh, you know, my life has been all kinds of places and trying to anchor myself in the word and, and God helped me understand what's going on and decided about a year after, uh, after Leanne's death that um, there was still a longing inside of me to, to, to join with somebody else and that that passion and that desire to be married didn't go away. And, uh, and so about, uh, oh, I don't know, about five months ago or so, I found myself online and I was doing the old dabbling on eHarmony, trying to find my value in life. And I thought maybe this computer program can tell me that I'm worth something because they send you people that, you know, they think would be attracted to you. And if for nothing else, it made me feel like, wow, there's people out there that like me and they know nothing about me. So it was a little self-deceiving, but it got me through some of the nights and some of those lonely nights. And, and then lo and behold, uh, December 28th, I got the, the ding in my inbox and, um, and there was a girl from, from Gilbert and I shouldn't say a girl. There was a woman from Gilbert (laughs) and, uh, um, started talking online and, um, one thing led to another, and I asked her out for, well, first I asked her to go feed ducks at a park, and she thought that, was, um, that wasn't going to happen. And so we talked for online for a little, little while longer, and long story short, uh, went out on our first date, and second date, third date, and fourth date, and um, last February, um, I proposed to, to Jennifer. And so we're getting married in June. So uh, Jennifer's actually here, right here. So... Um, yeah, um, I don't know if this is working uh, too well, but um, these, so I've got three kids and um, Jennifer has two. I don't know if maybe that, maybe you can see that. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, I've got a picture up here of my five kids now and uh, they're adorable. Um, and so God has now allowed me to re-enter the arena of marriage. And God has given Jennifer 13 years of marriage experience, and he's given me 13 years of marriage experience. And now we're headed towards this collision on June 9th 
trying to make sense of, God, what are you doing with, with now we've got five kids and we're trying to do this. And so when we talk about this issue of marriage and we look to the, the book of Ephesians, uh, we're not, I'm not doing it because it's just kind of there and it's kind of fun to think about. And I'm doing it, guys, because, because I need to know, God, wh- what do you have to say? And, and I think for many of us, we're right there, whether you've been married for 40 years or four or you've never been married, but you plan to or you've watched your parents go through marriage. Uh, it's a part of our lives in one form or another. Some of you have broken marriages and hurting marriages, and some of you are here without your spouses and you wish that they would come. And, and so we're all at different places here. And so the passage we're going to look at tonight, I think, is just incredibly pivotal And it is a deal breaker. And so here are a couple of house rules maybe as we get started. Number one, every one of us tonight, and I'll be with you next week as well, we're going to view these passages through our experiences. We're going to view whatever Paul has to share with us in Ephesians through what we're living out right now or what we've seen in our parents or our relatives. That's number one. And and so I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I wouldn't expect us to do it otherwise. But here's, I guess, number two and maybe more important. We've got to let the word of God instruct us tonight. Uh, we're going to have our thoughts. You're going to have your opinions. I'll have my opinions. And, but we've got to let the word of God, if we truly believe that it is the inspired, infallible word of God, we've got to let the word of God dictate to us as a wife or as a husband or as a potential wife, potential husband, God, how can I do it in a way that would both be satisfying to me and to my partner, but more importantly, God, how can I do it in such a way that would be pleasing to you? I think for many of us, we want to run the race well. And, and, and this, this is an area of our life that I think we're going to get to heaven and we're just going to ask God if, if he could talk about other areas of our lives. But this marriage thing is, is something that we're just going to come forward and say, God, I know I just didn't do that great. And, and so God's given me this kind of second chance, if you will. And he's, and he's really pressing on me as of late. I want you to do it well, Greg. Uh, this is an area of life that matters not only to you and to, and to Jennifer, but to these five little kids running around now. This matters a whole lot to them. And to the 150 people that came to know Jesus, this matters to them because they're going to be looking now as how, how does a Christian live out a successful marriage? You and I have circles of influence, and I, and I don't want to sell that short tonight. I want you to understand that. And so I want you to be in a position where we can go to God because these are what may, some may consider some difficult passages and go to God and say, God, God, this is what it says. It's pretty clear. Now the question is, what am I going to do with what it says? So I've got these two whiteboards up here. And the reason for that is because often what will happen is we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll draw a line down the middle here and we'll say, uh, okay, wives and husbands and But what I want to do is really, I just want to tackle and see how much time we have. Uh, I'm going to do the wives first and the husbands second. Okay, we'll do ladies before guys. And I just, uh, what I, what I simply want to do tonight is go to God throughout the, the whole of the scriptures, not just in Ephesians five, but the whole of the scriptures and say, God, 
if I'm a woman here tonight and I'm a wife or I plan to be a wife or if I'm a grandmother or aunt or, uh, or you know, and I, I want to get married or I'm watching my parents get married, what is the role of a wife, God? What, what, is, what would be a lifestyle as a wife that would be pleasing unto you? And then if we have time, God, what is the role of a husband? God, how can I do husbandry successfully so that when it's all said and done, when Leanne died two years ago, for her, she had a conversation, I'm assuming with God, maybe recently, and they talked about how well she did as a wife. Her time as a wife for 13 years and as a mom was over after 35 years of living, and that was it. And someday that's going to happen to you, and someday that's going to happen to me. And if we're here tonight, God's saying you have one more chance to look at my word, receive some instruction. And then the option is, do I want to apply it or not? So let's just look at God's word. And what I want to do is we've got some mics over here. I'll get us started with what is the role? What, what, what role does a wife play according to God's word? And, and let's just generate, and I don't, you can jot these down if you want, but let's just generate, if you will, a list and just kind of look at the list and, and say, okay, is, 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 the, is this what the Bible is saying the role of a wife is? Okay, so take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're at. That's where we've been at. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's just start in the primary passage, which is going to be verses 22 and following. Now, Tim got us started on this a couple of weeks ago. Verse 22 is the problem passage for many, but it actually, the the funny thing about verse 22, it says probably, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, yours will say something similar, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, And, and we chafe at that, or sometimes we buck that, and... The actual word to be subject or submit's not even in that verse. Most of your Bibles will have that as italicized, which just means that the, the translators here stuck that in. So it's not even there. Really what the Greek says is, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we've got to ask, well, yeah, that, doesn't make, really, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, God. So what, what are you saying there? Well, we have to go to near context then. A near context then would be found starting in verse 19, speaking to, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit. And Paul gives us really four ways to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Number three, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then number four in verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he continues that conversation. He takes it from big picture down to practical. Big picture is be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he says, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's the way that reads conversationally. And so what Paul is saying is, is if we want to grow in Christ and really all of chapter three and four, well, most of four talks about our maturity in Christ. If the goal of our Christian walk is to grow in the Lord, which I'm confident it is, Paul's giving us ways to do that. And so he says, encourage one another, speak to one another with words of encouragement, hymns and spiritual songs, always giving thanks to the Father. And then he says, and be subject to one another. And then he gives an example, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
So if we're taking, if we're just making a list here, a real brief list, and we say, okay, what is the role of a wife? Could we agree that one of the roles, so I'll just put wives up here. Could one of the roles be subject to husband? Can we all agree with that? Okay, right? Okay. He says then in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. For he himself being the savior of the body, but his church is subject to Christ. So also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Okay, so can we add to that then subject to husbands? And I'll put a little dash here in everything. Do you guys see that? Is that okay? So I'm not just making that up. Maybe I'll put 24 here for the verse. 23, is that right? 22, 22. Okay. Now, is that the only role of a wife? In the whole of scripture, is this the only role that a wife has? And this is where I think we get hung up. Because that's what we think. We stop at verse 22 and 23 and we say, that's it. That's my only role. And I don't like that role. I want, I want to change that role. So let's just keep going then. If you know of another role of a wife in the scriptures, raise your hand. The mics will come over. I'll, I'll keep going here. And then I, but, but if you know of one that you don't see that I'm writing down, let's just raise our hand. If you can think of another role, what the Bible has to say in terms of the role of a wife, Raise your hand and just shout it out, and I'll just we'll just make a list up here, okay? If you um, take your Bibles, then uh, turn to turn to let's go to First uh, Corinthians seven. How about that? First Corinthians seven. I think there's the role of a wife here in First Corinthians seven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians. Okay, so if you have verse chapter seven. Uh, look at verse 4. How about that? 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Again, we're just talking about the wife, and, and we'll, so we'll do the husband as well. But the, in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, the wife does not have authority of her, her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have own authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together Again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control, okay? So what do you think the role of a wife here is according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 and 5? What's her role there? What is her role? Okay, to give herself to her husband. Yeah, let's just put, um, I put fulfill uh, her sexual duty. How, How romantic does that sound? Is that pretty cool? Um, okay, honey, let's go to bed tonight. I have to fulfill my role according to 1 Corinthians 7. But that's a role. That is our, right, we're just agreeing. We're not trying to explain it necessarily. We're just agreeing that that is one of her roles. Uh, look at Titus then. Go to, go to Titus, which is going to go to the right. Get to the Timothys, the Thessalonians, Timothys. Go to Titus. Let's look at Titus chapter 2. What is the role of a wife? Titus chapter 2. Let's start in, in verse 3. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. 
nor enslaved to much wine. Older women are supposed to be teaching what is good. Now here in verse 4 is what they're to be teaching. Excuse me, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Okay, so is, can we say that a role is to love your husband? Okay, so that's a role. Okay. And then he says, love your husband to love your children. Is that the role of a wife? Okay, so that would be the role of a mom. Okay, but can we just add that maybe just, we'll maybe put a parenthesis around it. If you don't have kids, that would be a difficult one to do. But Okay, so love children. Okay, love your husband, love your children. It says in the NSB to be sensible. Okay, do your versions have something else? I'm sorry, discreet, okay? So to be sensible or discreet, okay? Self-controlled would be another word for that. And then mine has, in the NASB, it has pure. Someone have something different? Chaste, okay? Pure or chaste. Sound speech, okay? Okay, and then I have... Workers at home. Uh, the NIV would say busy at home. The King James would say keepers at home. Um, Oikirgos is the actual Greek word for that. It means um, stay at home, a stayer at home, or a good housekeeper is actually the... Okay. So can we just put... Uh, uh, let's just stick with the New American Standard, but it says worker at home. Okay. Workers at home, I, the next one I have is kind. Do you have something different? And then again, we have again in, in Titus 2.5, being subject to their own husbands. So we already have that up here. That the word of God may not be dishonored. Okay, would you agree, can we agree that these things are what Paul is telling Titus are roles of a wife? Older women are to teach the younger women that this is how you do the duty of a wife. We're not agreeing or disagreeing. We're just making a list here with me. Okay. Um, I've got Romans chapter seven and you don't have to turn there, but um, Romans chapter seven says till death. Okay. One of your roles is to be married until death. Now, Here's what's interesting is we usually stop right there because we think, okay, these are the duties of a wife. Subject to your husband, fulfill your sexual duty, love your husband, love your kids, be sensible, discreet, pure, chaste, sound speech, worker at home, kind till death. But interestingly enough, turn over to Proverbs real quickly. Middle of your Bible. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Because these are all the things you should do as a woman, I mean, as a wife. But Proverbs actually mentions a couple other things that you shouldn't do. We often focus on, here's what I should do as a wife. Here's the obligations I have. But look what Proverbs has to say about what you shouldn't do. Turn to Proverbs, uh, uh, let's go to 21. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. um, And look at verse 19. Solomon wrote Proverbs and he says in verse 19... Proverbs twenty one nineteen. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. 
Contentious there is the word for contentious is brawling. It's better to be on a desert island than to have a brawling and vexing woman, is what Solomon says. In fact, he says it again in verse 9. Listen to what he says in verse 9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So if, you're, if we're making the roles of a wife, what is Solomon telling women or wives not to do? Do not be what? Yeah, do not be nags or, um, I don't, can, we, can we just put nag and then just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of don't be that. He says it three in two other places. In Proverbs 25, 24, he says it. In Proverbs 19, 13, he says it. He's saying, wives, you can't do that. He's saying it's better to be on a small little corner of your roof than to be in a huge house with a, with a contentious, with a woman who likes to brawl. Have you ever been around that? Go out to dinner with a couple and the wife just, just everything the husband says, the wife is just nagging and brawling. And at first you find it kind of amusing, like, wow, that's kind of, and then it just becomes, wow, would you stop it? Just stop it. Boom, 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 boom. So Solomon says, wives, don't do it. Now, that's a fairly sufficient list, and there's a couple of others, but for time's sake, let's just stick with this, okay? And wives, women, you, you know, you, again, you know, first of all, who are you, Greg? What, you know, and, and then second of all, you know, what is this, right? If you knew my husband, if you knew my dad, if you knew my uncle, if you knew my friend's husband, and that's the way you're filtering this conversation, and, and I'm okay with that. But again, I have to go back to our second ground rule, which is this is God's word saying the role of a wife is this. Now, what's interesting about this list, going back to Ephesians chapter five, wives be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. What's interesting about this list is it's not up for negotiation. See, what we want to do as just humans is we want to say, I'll put up with that list, Greg, because I know this list is coming. And what we want to do is we treat this much like we would like the sale of a home. Um, I'm selling my house. We're moving into Jennifer's house. And so we're right in the throes of contract negotiations and counteroffers and inspections and appraisals. And it's a whole bunch of paperwork flying back. And often we think of our roles like that. I'll do, I'll come to the table as a wife. I'll come to the table with, with this. If he comes to the table with that, and then I'll do a little bit of this, but he's got to come through with that. And we play this game back and forth. And if there's absolutely one thing we need to hear tonight from God, it's this ladies, this isn't, this isn't a negotiation arena where I take all of this and say, I'll do it if. This is not conditional based on that. This is your role as a wife, period. You don't know my husband. You're right. It doesn't matter. 
I just can't find in God's word where he says, do this only when, if when, when your husband, and then you fill in the blank. It absolutely does not say that. So maybe here's take home point number one. You better choose your husband wisely. Because God's expecting you to do these things to him and for him and in him and whatever else to him. He's expecting you to do that. And you have every opportunity, ladies, to choose your own husband. Nobody's making you choose the husband you chose or are about to choose. But here's my admonition to you or warning to you tonight. You better be about the business of doing these things for and to your husband. So if you're looking at a guy, if you're dating a guy, ladies, if your daughter is dating a guy, if your friend is dating a guy, and you say, because of who he is, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do these things or she's going to do these things, then do not marry him. Absolutely do not marry him. Because once you do marry him, Scripture's very clear. Unless for a very few number of exceptions, you're in. You're locked in. 2010, University of Chicago did a, uh, let's just find out what the divorce rate is. 50% for non-Christians and those who call themselves Christians, 42%. We're not doing well because what happens is, is the romance goes away. Jennifer walked through the doors of Joe's coffee shop and I, I literally said to myself, God, if you are real, let her be for me. Because all we had seen is pictures and, you know, and so the very first time I saw her and, and in the, in the past year or so, I went out on one other date and it just didn't go well. And it didn't go well from the very first time I saw it. just wasn't a match, right? And so, I, you know, let's meet at Joe's Coffee Shop, 7 o'clock. I got there early. I'm waiting. I'm pacing. I'm stressed out. Because once we see each other, if it doesn't go well, it's one of those deals. You know, I got to suffer through two hours of conversation. And so what I did was I knew Joe's was closing at 9. So I knew if this doesn't go well, I got to suffer for two hours. Anyone can do that. And if it goes well... I can ask her to go to an, another place that was open till 11. See, so a lot of thought was involved with that. And so, so at seven o'clock, I'm like, oh man, this is, you know, and I'm stressed and you're nervous. And again, I felt like I was in high school. I just felt like I was right back there. And, and, and the door opens and literally like out of a movie, there she comes. And I'm like, oh my, please, Lord, please let her say, are you Greg? And she did. And it was incredible. It was lust at first sight. But guys, that goes away, right? We all know that. That goes away very, very quickly. Especially when I've got three kids and she's got two kids. Now we're into, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So Jennifer's got to, she's got to come to the table, guys. When I proposed to her, um, She's got to come to the table with this. God, am I ready to do this 
for Greg and with Greg and to Greg, regardless of what his roles are going to be, and, and we will get to those, Regardless, God, am I ready to do these things? Can I come up under him is what this word means. Can I be subject to him? And by the way, because verse 24 in Ephesians chapter 5 clearly tells us what we think is, and and Jennifer and I were talking about this this afternoon, I said, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be subject to me when we get married? And often what we think is, it's event-driven, right? That means that when we come up with this grandiose big decision of, I'm going to move us across the country, or I'm going to buy us a new home, or these very big decisions that I'll have my say, you have your say, and then eventually we'll kind of like, I'll come up under you. But Paul makes it clear in verse 24, wives be subject to your husband's in everything. Do you know what the Greek word for everything is? Everything. So in, in the military, in the Greek military terms, it was that it was that you would have a leader and then there would be a military formation under that leader. In non-military terms, it means that she is voluntarily allowing me to be the head of our family. Not just on good days, not just on bad days, not just on big decisions, but in everything. The only exception, as far as I can tell, the Bible says she does not have to come up under me, is when I ask her to do something that God is clearly commanding her to do. For instance, you can't go to church anymore. Now she can very willfully disobey. You have to commit acts that are ungodly. She does not have to come up under me. You have to do things that God is clearly against. She can very clearly say, I don't report to you. I report to my Lord and Savior, Jesus. So for Jennifer, it's Jesus, Greg. So when, we, when, when we're going through all this proposal stuff, That's what she's up against here is the role of a wife. Now, I want to point out one thing here, um, and that is this one. Because I find this interesting, and maybe you might or might not. See what Titus talks about here? What do you think that means? Titus says, older women teach the younger women to, to love your husbands, love your children, to be sensible, discreet, pure, chaste. And we track that. We check that. Yeah, yeah, I could do that, 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 that. And then he says to be a worker at home. So just for conversation, what do you think that means? Let me hear from you. Raise your hand and tell me, what do you think it means to be a worker at home? Let's get a mic there because we're going to... Yeah, I got uh, what I think it means. At that time, it was a different time. So in those times, wives were expected to be home while husbands went out and you know, made a living either farming, whatever they did, and wives were expected to be home with their kids, and that's the way it was back then. Okay. I, I just think it was a different time, maybe. Okay, so can I follow up? Yeah. What do you think it means now? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm playing the kid. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's what it did mean then. And my question is, is, is it a part of the list today? See, guys, I honestly think, quite honestly, Leanne worked. Um, she was a nurse at PCH, worked two 12-hour shifts a week. And she, if she were here, she'd admit, and we'd both admit, one of the one of the the areas of our lives that now I live with regret with because we never got to work it out. But one of the areas of our lives that we struggled with that as Jennifer and I are, are walking down this road toward marriage, we are clearly defining what our roles are. Leanne and I didn't do that young married, you know, and, and a lot of you can relate was this whole work issue. And whether you're in over your head financially be, and then the wife has to work or. However, you're justifying it. We all have only 24 hours in the day. And that caused the most amount of frustration in our marriage. Especially when kids came about. The laundry piles up. The dishes don't get done. The lawn doesn't get mowed. And now who's going to do it? And so why should you do it? And why should I do it? And, bam, 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 bam. and then that's where the fighting starts, right? So I, I want to know. What does that mean? Timoth, uh, Paul tells Titus... Older women tell the younger women to be workers at home. Again, it means to be a, a good housekeeper. Biblically. Yeah. I still think it means what it meant back then was that the husband is supposed to be the provider of the house and the wife is supposed to take care of the household and the children. And I have those old-fashioned views, I guess. Okay, so, and it's interesting that we have to include the term old-fashioned into that definition. Because in today's society, that is considered old-fashioned. And I just have to wonder, and let's just wonder together, because again, our goal is to glorify God. Our goal, Is that old-fashioned? Yes, it is. Okay? Can I just, by show of hands, how many women work in here that are married? Married working women. And then can I... Specify full-time. Okay. So a fair number of you are doing it. Okay. So let me hear from someone else had their hand raised. What does, right over here in the middle here, what does this mean? We've got one over there too. Paul says, pure chase, sensible, discreet, sound speech, kind. And by the way, be a worker at home. To pretty much be the nurturer, to keep the family Going while the husband is out providing. Okay, so to be a nurturer. Right. To be the primary nurturer? Well, I don't... I would say primary because the mother is generally with the children more than the father would be. And so I would say... But is she with the children more with the father if they're both working full time? No. So she would be the one that would be at home maintaining the house for her family and then to also nurture to keep them going in a loving environment to provide that loving environment probably a little more maternal than the husband can provide right okay because it normally comes natural because it comes a little bit more natural to her right sure i i definitely agree with that The, the question i have i guess the challenge i have is how do you do it successfully? Um, my wife and I, we kind of, I mean, because I wouldn't expect her to go outside and mow the lawn or pull weeds or change the oil or, you know, change the brakes in the car. Why um, not? 
Well, because I have her inside doing laundry and washing dishes and things like that. Ow. <laughs> Not that I can't. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. We've only been married a year. I'm sorry? We've only been married. Only been married a year. So, that, but you are defining roles, and and they do fit in the more traditional type roles. Okay. Yeah, I took a, a biblical perspective of marriage class a few years ago, and they kind of used the word oikos, like it's used before, and like they also used like despot of the oikos, and despot means ruler, and then like oikos wasn't just house, but it means the surrounding. So essentially, she is in charge of basically the estate. Yeah. Not essentially the one that's doing all the work, but makes sure the work gets done. Okay, so that raises a good point. Can I, as the wife, can I work full-time, can my husband work full-time, and we just sub out the work? It, can I manage the household? Can I be a good housekeeper by subbing it out? Let's just be honest, okay, because we're not, I'm, we're not kidding anyone in here. Working full-time is working full-time. Nobody gets home from working full time and just has an exorbitant amount of energy left in the day that they can just keep going and going and going and going. Maybe for a season, but not year after year after year after year. It's a grind and we all know it. So what I, I want to make this as practical as I can because, guys, again, this matters. This list matters. And we can't just go down the list and say, I like this, I don't like this. I like this, I don't like this. So if this applies to us today, ladies, we've got to wrestle with what does it mean? And I'm not sure that I'm going to stand up here and provide the, the definitive answer. But again, Jennifer and I have had to, we've sat down and we've said to each other, what does this mean in our relationship? We've got five kids at home. And I point blank said, I cannot come home to chaos every night. Once or twice, maybe, but I can't come home to crazy chaos and a house that is just disastrous because we're both working full time because I'll come home and I'll just get frustrated. Guys, you... You come home to a, a house that is just full of disaster and you may internalize it, but I know what you're thinking, which is you got to be kidding me. And then, and then women, you come home because you've worked a hard day and you say, well, what do you expect? So roll up your sleeves. Let's dig in and do this. And again, I'm here to tell you that lasts for a season and then it becomes a big, big issue. Uh, there was, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not disputing what you say on the different roles, and it's, you know, it works out much better that way. But how do you explain Proverbs 31, where six, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Yeah. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. And in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supports, supplies belts to the yep. tradesmen. She, this, this is the, she's the lady, right? I mean, this is the, yeah. And there's ministries made after this woman and, um, she's done well. Uh, she also says, it also says in verse 27 then, um, and, 
It says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And I was researching that a little bit because I said, God, because you're right. Uh, Esther, right? Esther, uh, she, she had an important role. Um, we, we, and I want to end with, with something else here. But, but so there are definite cases. And Proverbs 31, the woman here seems to be holding down both, both roles pretty well. Some have said... Um, uh, Solomon set up a type of woman that is unattainable. That, that he made this woman such that who can be this woman? Great to strive after, but is it practical? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that he did include somehow she does all of those things and she looks well to the ways of her household. As well as we find in here, her kids love her and her husband adores her. So you're right. Somehow she figured that out, right? I know a lot of women who haven't figured that out. And, and I don't want to run the risk of trying to figure it out at the cost of my kids or my household. And that's where I struggle is I don't want Jennifer or any one of you to get to a point where you, you're, you walk into a house and think, I cannot do this. You amaze me as a, as a species, women, because you're able to multitask and manage and do things and keep it all going. But I've witnessed it all come crashing down as well. And I wonder what element of your life needs to be just sucked out so that you can do what clearly you need to do. In other words, is part of your role as a wife to work? That's the issue. We clearly know it's to do all of these things. I don't think anyone's disputing that. But I want to get real, just real practical. Is part of your role to work? Not is it an option. Not is it are you capable. Not is it, um, is it sometimes necessary because your husband's out of work or, or disabled. Or, but is it your role to do that? Is something I think we all just need to kind of, kind of just wrestle through and, and wonder. What could we admit that the reason a lot of us work dual income is because we have to? Would you agree with that? That the reason a lot of us work, whether it's part-time or full-time, is because the, in, because the debt outweighs the income. And you're a capable human being that has a mind and so so i need you to get out and go to work and therefore now we'll come up with ways to accommodate these other roles i'm not a marriage expert guys so but but i'm willing to bet dollars for donuts that 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 is for many of us the case and if I were to sit down with a lot of couples in here, I'll bet I would hear things like, I wish I didn't have to, or I wish I could cut back, or I wish I could just stay at home a little bit more until the kids are of certain age, or, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish. 
But take a look at our, our debt to income ratio and now you understand why. And I'm saying, I hear you. Uh, I, I'm just wondering where does it fit on the rolls and what are you giving up to do that? Does that make sense? Okay. No one's pointing fingers here. It just makes it incredibly difficult with 168 hours in the week to do all of this and get ready, go to work, be under the work regime, and then come home and, and continue to do all of this and do it well. So that when you get to the end of the road, whenever that may be, God says, well done. You did that well. You loved your husband well. You loved your kids well. You were a great housekeeper. You were pure. You were sensible. You were chaste. You did well with the money I gave you. You managed your household well. Well done. You were subject. You, you came under your husband. Well done. And for you older women in here, are you able to teach the younger women because you have been doing it well? 150 people come to know Jesus on Sunday. They're looking for us to lead well, guys. And I think we're all here because we want to. I don't think we're here because we want to say to God, yeah, but. I think we're here because we want to say to God, God, I want to do it well. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, and then I want to share you with one, one cool thing out of here, and then, and then we'll close it up. Well, I had a couple thoughts. One was... Uh, you know, there's a, a really high rate of divorce among Christians, too, probably. 42%. And it's 50, I think, for, for non-Christians, right. That's why. Men I, expect you. My husband's really nice. But I'm telling you, I see women. I, I wouldn't do all that stuff. Um, sorry. But, you know, um, not unless you have a husband that does just as much, like he said, he does the yard and all that. Sure. Well, women come home every single night. He does the he does the yard on the weekends. She has to come home, fix the dinner, bathe the kids. Mine are grown, so you know, uh, do everything. And right. men come home and sit down on the couch. Am I kidding, ladies? They sit down on the couch. And say, what's for dinner, honey? Didn't you make a cake for dessert? I am so glad that you are saying this. Sounds I never thought about this before. He sounds like a male chauvinist pig. I never thought of that before until we read him tonight. I got to tell you. But I will say, now in those days, working at home, we didn't have dishwashers or or, you know, we had wash machines now, but, you know, in those days, they didn't do that. But I mean to tell you, men have it easy, easy. You say, I couldn't come home to chaos? Let me tell you, women come home to chaos. You're, yeah. I've got absolutely no response to that. Um And I, and I think we're I think we're on the same page. Nobody wants chaos. And I will say this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but does not that equal uh, a full time job? Um, 
Now, again, I don't care how you do it, but managing your household is a full-time job. For the past two years, I've been a single dad. Um, I have I have been so thankful for the help I've gotten because I've been indoctrinated very, very quickly onto what it means to raise and to manage and to do a household well. It is a full-time job. So if you can do both and do them well, you do walk on water. You are superwoman. Um, it is very, very difficult. And I agree. I don't think men truly understand that that responsibility at that level. I think really we are deceived into thinking it can't be that hard. And I've learned over the past two years, it is, it is a full-time job. Um, okay, so one thing really quick then, uh, because guys, so come back next week because we get to fill out this list. Uh, and, and, and what I want to show us is this, guys, next week. Both lists are demanding. Both lists, whether you appreciate the roles or not, both lists are costly and they are, they are extreme. But when done well, you all have a picture in your mind of couples that have done it well. And we're jealous of them and we're envious of them because somehow they figured it out. And I want to figure it out. I really do. Um, I want to tell you a quick story then about Aquila and Priscilla, right? So do we know those people in the Bible? Um, Acts chapter 18, if you get a chance to. But here's, here's the deal with Aquila and Priscilla. What they figured out was though they have different roles, what they did well was ministry together. Uh, Paulus was a great teacher of the word of God. And, the, and in the book of Acts, it says, and Aquila and Priscilla took him aside, both of them, male and female, took, them, took him aside and taught him the word of God. Paul says, when you see Aquila and Priscilla, greet them in the name of the Lord. Uh, the book of Romans, I believe, says, uh, and they greet people heartily. And you get this image of a couple that figured this out. They weren't challenging the roles they weren't disputing the roles. They weren't fighting each other on the roles. Well, if you do this, then I'll do this. But really, you get a picture, an image of a couple who came together and said, our occupations may be different. Our interests may be a little different. Certainly, our roles are different, God. But what can we do together as a couple, as a vocation unto the Lord that would please you? And they found their strength in hospitality and in teaching. And maybe in closing tonight, to those of us who are married in here, my challenge would be this. As you work through your marriage and what your roles are, and I know we just focused on the wives tonight. We will focus on the husbands next week. As we continue to wrestle through that to help us get over the hump of discontentment, go before God this week and ask him, God, what could we do together as a couple that would be pleasing unto you? Here at Cornerstone, what could we do together? Good friends of ours do check-in together every Sunday or once a month. They do check-in together. Husband and wife, they get together and they check kids in. That's their vocation. Jennifer and I sat down the other day and said, what can we do together that would help glue us together in, in a form of service? So think about that, that, that this week. What can you do together as a couple 
that would help not only you, but obviously would help the church. Let's pray. God, we're out of time. And uh, I'm thankful that your word provides for us. It instructs us. It teaches us. God, maybe there's some here in the room tonight that that came because their marriage is is sufficient and it's good. And they see these lists and think, yeah, that's that's where we're at. Maybe some of us, uh, this is new for us. Holy Spirit, we trust that you are our teacher and that you will bring us to uh, a conviction of some areas that maybe we need to work on. Maybe, God, there's uh, some, some wives in here tonight that look at the list and, and feel a little convicted, feel like, God, maybe, maybe I could shore up this area. God, I pray for the husbands in here that as they uh, mull over that list and um, we haven't gotten to them yet, that they would come back next week and realize that there is an awesome, costly responsibility of being a husband. And that together, as you put the husband and wife together, that would make such a beautiful example of serving one another and being subject to one another. And that that would be for the world to see, Father, on how two people can come together with you at the center and love each other. And we'll give you all the praise when that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you hopefully next Tuesday.